This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful, but brief. In this episode, we have Lisa Pickett, digital product and marketing specialist. Lisa, welcome to the Business of Ours podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Great. It's great to see you. Thank you for coming. All right. Um, remember your first day in the office at your first job. Now, switch mentally to today. Think about how your work on a project looks like now. What's the difference? Why do you feel way more confident now? It's your experience. The body of knowledge in your brain allows you to be sure about your next move and avoid anxiety. In today's episode, I have Lisa to tell you about her five-point approach to work on a project. She has distilled from her more than a decade experience in digital marketing to achieve more while spending less. But first, um, Lisa, before we begin uh, covering the, your approach and building a world-class mobile product, Let's talk about you and what is your background? Sure. Um, so as you've mentioned, I spent, I've spent over a decade now um, working across digital marketing and products. Um, so I started out at AKQA, um, which is a kind of digital innovation agency um, where I was working on Nike Training Club. Um, so primarily on lots of the Nike businesses. Um, so back in 2020, 2013, sorry, um, it was one of the first fitness apps on the market. So it really helped kind of create that industry and kind of define the sector, um, which was great. And my time at AQA was just over five years and I worked across a variety of digital products, um, including a foundation finder for Maybelline um, using kind of machine learning to suggest the right shade for users. Um, and also actually one of the first skills, Alexa skills, um, which was used um, during the Echo launch in the UK. Um, it was a skill with Jamie Oliver. Um, so done quite a lot of digital products, but then also kind of pure play marketing product launches um, for various Nike products. Um, I then switched over to brand side and worked at SoulCycle, um, which is a spin studio um, kind of founded in the US. And I helped launch their UK business, um, setting up their local marketing expertise um, across their international markets. So which was the UK and Canada when I was there. Um, and then most more recently, I was at Deliciella, um, where I was head of app um, since the start of last year. And I think during this time, which actually really helped inform the presentation, but um, I led a kind of complete product overhaul, um, everything from even the name of the app. Um, so it's called Feel Better by Deliciella. Um, also included a complete rebrand, um, brand design, UX, UI, content strategy, monetization, kind of the whole thing. Um, and it was a really great experience, learned a lot, um, worked with some amazing people. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of, I guess, brings us brings us up to today. Great. Uh, out of curiosity, did Nike influence you personally back in 2013 to you their products? Um, I've always been a bit of a, a fitness freak. Um, oh, nice. I, I have always, and I think that's also informed a lot of the companies I've worked with. I've been really lucky to work with 
a lot of brands that I have had kind of personal passion for. Like I'm a massive spin fan, which was great working at SoulCycle and um, yeah, very much interested in the kind of lifestyle wellness industries. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great uh, mix when you're actually, um, you know, enjoy the products you're marketing because you, this is your passion. Yeah, that's the the best yeah. way to go about your work. That's great. Yeah. I got to tell you, your company's name does stand out the rest. I've heard of this show before. Please uh, tell us about your company, Deliciously Ela, and kind of the story of the name. Um, yeah, so Deliciously Ella um, was founded um, a little over 10 years ago now um, by Ella Mills. Um, so she, um, back in, so it was 2012, um, she had a kind of, a, some kind of personal illnesses um, and she really wasn't that well and basically looked to her diet to try and address the issues because all the drugs that she was taking wasn't, um, weren't working. And so back, if you cast your mind back 10 years ago, like veganism really wasn't mainstream at all. And so she just created a blog um, that, um, where she just wrote the recipes up that she was trialing um, and basically ended up curing herself through her diet, um, through kind of unrefined foods, whole foods, plant-based foods, um, and kind of led to a social media account and then a cookbook deal. Um, and then she met her now husband, uh, Matthew Mills, um, and they kind of formalize a business. And now it's, you know, there's everything from um, food, food products, so like oat bars, cereals. Um, there's a restaurant in London um, called Plants. There's a podcast um, and, and there's the app, which I was, I've now left Lichella, but um, I was um, head of app there. So that app is a subscription app. So as you can maybe guess, um, they had lots of recipes or they have lots of recipes on the app, but it's also now um, much more of a holistic health tool. So yes, it has the plant-based recipes, but also yoga and exercise classes and mindfulness practices and sleep. So it really is your kind of one-stop shop, your ultimate wellness tool to help people find ways to feel better. And that was the kind of inspiration for the name as well. Oh, I didn't know, obviously, I didn't know the story of the app's name and like the, the whole brand. It's a very touching story. And I got to tell you, uh, listening to a bunch of uh, guests on the show throughout the years, uh, the best um, kind of the best story behind the app is always when there was a specific need for somebody who tried to solve the problem. It may be something trivial, not that complicated or pretty hard uh, and complicated stuff for somebody to, you know, on a personal level, like you were just describing. And it's always great when that person uh, managed to launch the product and the app is being set up by, uh, you know, personal input uh, throughout the iterations and it really feeds its growth because, it's, you know, it comes from the heart, so to speak. Totally. Yeah, I think I think that's that's also been true in like the kind of responses that we've got from from the app and of users who have found like kind of life changing transformations as a result. So that's incredibly inspiring. That's great. And uh, now this March in London, uh, as one of the promotion summit London event speakers, you laid out the first point five point approach to achieving more with with less. So I'd like to introduce this story, uh, this approach to our audience. And uh, let's start with the uh, first point, get familiar with failure. Uh, honestly, to me, it doesn't sound like a first point from somebody's <laughs> approach to marketing. Why failure? 
Um, yeah, I think I, I I put that first point to be kind of deliberately um, provocative, um, basically to capture people's attention from the start, but bear mm -hmm. with me. Um, so what I really mean um, with this point is you're not going to have all the answers. Like no one I know has a working crystal ball and um, yeah, we can't predict the future. So I think the sooner we can kind of get over ourselves and realize that we're not going to have the answers the whole time, the sooner we can kind of get out our own way and it's actually a much quicker route to finding out where we need to be. So I think it's more about not necessarily failure, but looking at everything as a learning opportunity. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of the, the proper framing of this. And I think once you embrace this, it can actually be quite liberating and empowering and working in digital products and apps is actually really great because A, the feedback loop times um, are pretty quick. If you compare it to kind of traditional media where you put an ad out and you have to wait like weeks slash months to see if it worked, you can pretty much tell within a few days if what you've done has worked. And also digital is an incredibly flexible platform. So as long as you kind of go into each initiative knowing what you want to test, you can really put some parameters up to make sure that you're not going to kind of hamper anything like, you know, you're not going to impact your, your user base um, if you go in with that in mind. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's really what I, I mean by this point. Um, I think failure is having a bit of a kind of um, moment. I think that the likes of Matthew Syed, Elizabeth Day, um, Adam Grant um, are really encouraging us to not look at failure in the way it's more like yes as I said a learning experience experimentation um, and actually really interestingly um, it's something that's been adopted by a load of companies now um, this this Harvard professor Stephen um, and I'm going to probably pronounce his surname wrong but bonk so t-h-o-m-k-e um, so he actually analyzed the stock performance of um, companies on the S&P 500 which is the equivalent of the FTSE in the UK um, and compared their share prices of those who embraced experimentation and those who didn't. And the difference between the two is actually quite remarkable in terms of the share prices being significantly higher for those who kind of do embrace that test and learn. Um, there's a really great quote as well from Jeff Bezos around um, the success of Amazon is a is a uh, quote a function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. So it just shows that if you kind of embrace this experimentation approach. Um, you really are going to be able to find innovations and new ideas and just kind of move away from the competition. Um, but during my my time uh, in the industry, I think I've, I've, I've found a few things that definitely help when adopting this mindset and when you're testing things out, um, because if you're working in apps, like your competition will probably be A-B testing things. And if they're not, they're missing a trick and you certainly are. Um, so I think some of the things to kind of bear in mind for this, one, always have a control. So especially if your resources are tight, um, yes, A might be better than B, but is B, oh, sorry, is A better than not doing anything at all? And you really need to make sure that you've proven that out, especially if your resources are quite light, because if it's not worth doing, then you can re, um, repurpose those resources to something more effective. Um, the other thing is not putting a load of your traffic through new kind of features initially. So only put, say, 10% of your traffic through each feature that you want to test so that you don't kind of derail what might have been a really good idea, but maybe the timing was off or there was like, an, you know, an unfortunate bug that wasn't spotted. And so you're not kind of 
um, compromising your entire user base. If you're if you've redone the sign up flow, say, and you you test out a new route and you put a hundred percent of people through that and it doesn't work for whatever reason, you haven't kind of compromised the effectiveness of of your tool of your app. Um, so it just ensures that good ideas actually get the chance to be refined, reiterated on, right. um, and you're able to kind of continue that learning that learning culture. Um, so yeah, that that's the first point. Basically, embrace experimentation is what I mean by that. Yeah. Uh, now, as you put it this way, I do see the point why it should be the f- the first point on the list uh, because um, you can imagine marketers uh, with there at the beginning of the path of launching the app they're trying to gather as much information as they can they're trying to learn as much of um, other people's mistakes and they do believe they have to be 100 ready um try to avoid doing any mistakes and that's this may create anxiety for them to do anything to be honest and be experimental um again Check out the videos of uh, Amazon 1996, 1997, back in the day when Jeff Bezos looked very different. Just <laughs> check out you know, two different persons, two different companies. You can see the progress. You can see the results of a lot of experimentation. Um, yeah. You may not be the next Amazon, to be honest. Uh, that's hard to pull off. But the approach of Jeff's uh, to, to business, you should adopt it. It's a really good one. Um. Okay, moving to the next one, just ask, how does this one work? Yeah, so this one is all about um, using your network, um, which is a resource that we all have. Um, And if you invest in it properly um, throughout your career, it can actually be one of the most valuable assets that you have at your disposal. Um, So with this point, I've actually split it into two. So the first one is actually ask your audience. so ask your audience, inviting them into the kind of um, the room with you whilst you kind of refine um, your app features and also your cons. I think gone are the days where it's, you know, a bit taboo to ask your users what they think. And every time I've done it, it's been incredibly well received. Um, and there's two real big benefits for doing this. One, you're able to gain amazing insights from your most engaged users or just even any kind of user Um, sometimes when you work on the product day in day out you kind of lose sight of the features that actually people love Um, so it really helps um, you understand what they love about your app and why do they keep on using it so you can include that in comms for example um, or use it in testimonials Um, you could also try and find people um, who are maybe less engaged and I'll go into this in a little bit later of how to reach them um, but that can really help you shine a light on areas, say, in your attention funnel of where to focus on and improve, or maybe a feature that would help make them more engaged. So obviously, insights is a really good benefit, but also it's a really effective retention tactic um, because the people that you've asked, they feel that they've had a voice and a kind of an influence and a role in shaping an app or a product that they they obviously care quite a lot about. And so they're more likely to use it more often and also share it with their friends and family so they kind of act more as an um, ambassadors so it's great for those two reasons um and I found that it's actually really simple just to get going you you don't need um kind of expensive user testing tools if you have them great um but if you don't I found it's actually quite effective even just putting a type form or a google form in an email um and you can incentivize it um to ensure kind of people actually respond to the survey or come to the kind of focus group. Um, But you can get 
some really good insights with not that much resource put against it um, just to get you going. Um, and then you could probably formalize that, but you know, as a kind of beach testing group, um, loads of companies do it like PlayStation, Amazon, Ford. Um, so you, you're in good company. Um, so that's, yeah, first one, ask the audience. And the second one is, is, is your network. So ask your network. And I, I totally get it, especially when you're um, kind of starting out in your career. Um, like the idea of networking used to fill me with absolute dread. Um, but um, I think also if we stop, and I'm speaking as a Brit, like stop being so British about things and just ask for help when you don't know. Um, I've been incredibly um, surprised in a good way of how generous people are with their time. Um, so an example for this was when I was at Delicielo when we were doing the project. Um, the product overhaul in terms of design this was um, I we needed a, a senior UI designer who was a freelancer and I didn't know anyone um, so went out to my network my old colleagues and asked them and I was like do you know anyone or do you know someone who might know someone and basically through many iterations of that like friend of a friend of a colleague of a friend if we found um the guy this guy who, who helped us called Elias who was absolutely amazing and we would never have found him if I hadn't just asked in the first place and so um I would just encourage you if you're starting out in your career and even if you're halfway through it just to really invest in growing a really great network um, and I think some tips on that um are start now <laughs> don't start don't feel you can only start when you're you know a certain degree of seniority you've got x amount of years under your belt like just start now um go to the networking events go and join like the industry group so in the UK um I'm a member of the coffee club which is kind of a brand marketing club and then also growth and company which is growth marketers and product people um which is great just to go to networking drinks if you if you're part of like maybe a bigger corporate go to some of the kind of employee drinks um or events um just to kind of start meeting people and I used to when I first went to these things I used to give myself you know just just say hi to one person have what make one contact and that will be a success and you can obviously build from there um I'd also say using LinkedIn is a really powerful tool you know reach out to people that you've worked with in the past or know comment share your opinions and I think one of the things to just kind of help frame this is that what's the worst that could happen like they don't reply to you exactly okay it's, it's not, not that bad Right. no it really isn't any uh, that big a deal but they could reply to you and then you could have an amazing contact and you know you can grow from there so um yeah I I would definitely encourage people to use LinkedIn as a kind of first port of call um and then the last thing is I think it's important to remember that to pay it forward so community only works if you give and take and so you know if someone reaches out to you make sure that you try and find time to you know help someone out who's just starting out in their career like help introduce and make that connection so that it fosters a community um, of people in, in the industry. Right. People like to be involved and be heard. And probably later on when you're uh, implementing a new feature into product, you may directly use that uh, insight and that person will be, you know, using the product knowing, hmm, this feature got here because of me. I was the yeah. one who suggested it. So this is kind of a part of belonging to the team. So it's, it is something that people like, it's just, uh, yeah, asking just, yeah, just like you were saying, they may just, uh, you know, be busy and ignore you. That's the worst case scenario. Right. You're not going to hurt. You're not going to get hurt for sure. 
So yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, next up is grow smart. So what is your definition of smart growth, Lisa? Yeah. So this one of smart growth is in this context, um, it's always having one eye on the future. So um, it's not letting, yeah, I guess, short-term priorities get in the way of long-term growth. Um, I used to have an old boss who used to say it's pain now or pain later, and it's just better to get it over and done with now. And <laughs> she was very right, and I've kind of had that with me for at least at least five years. Um, and so in the context of when you're a product manager or you're working on apps, um, like I definitely know what it's like when you've got so many kind of short-term fires that you're trying to put out and you just need to get this feature out because the deadline was you know yesterday yeah. and it's so tempting to just to try and do the kind of quickest easiest cheapest thing to get it out the door but nine times out of ten that will come back and bite you um and so every time you're going into a new feature build or you know piece of marketing like think about like what will future me year time three years time five years time of wanted me to do in this situation so examples being um, making content CMS configurable. So very easy just to be like, just hard code it, just get it out. But, you know, give it three months and that content will be old. And then you'll have to pay again if you've got an, um, an outsourced development agency to, to redo it. So you may as well just bite the bullet and make it CMS configurable from the get go. Um, another example is making sure that um, features are AB that building in a B testing functionality to features from the get-go as well kind of goes back to my first point like making sure that you are enabling growth you're not prohibiting it um and so you're not having to basically go and unpick the work that you've done um another thing around growing smart is data and obviously like, well I would hope this is quite obvious that data is obviously really important but when this is especially in your like very early stage startups and likely the team, you won't have a data scientist on your team, um, but it is so important to find a platform that you can access data easily. And you, who's an untrained data scientist, not a trained scientist, so I say data scientist like me, is able to look at a dashboard and get the data, the report on the KPIs that you need quickly and easily is so important because without data, especially if you've got no resources, it's just so inefficient. You are effectively shooting in the dark. Um, so I can't like kind of emphasize enough how important data is. And there's a lot of tools and platforms you can get now that have kind of out of the box integrations with different platforms. Um, so you don't have to kind of get developer development work to integrate. You can kind of get up and running pretty quickly um, without much technical capabilities yourself. Like Clipfolio is one, even, even MailChimp um, have a load of integrations to get you up and running. Um, so that's definitely one it's it's yeah data it's thinking about the future and kind of making sure that you're you're being really effective and efficient with the resources you have right now and not just letting short-term fires in like inhibit your long-term growth yeah just one word on the data importance remember um very simple example when you have a product or service which you're providing in person you know people come to your store you can know them in, in person as the uh, regular uh, customers that's easy you can you know interact with them get a comprehensive picture of what they want what they're like what they don't like about your product whenever you have a digital product uh, in your store to um, distribute and you have hundreds thousands millions of users 
by definition, there's no way you can know about these people anything unless you're gathering information and using any tool in your disposal, including, I would say, um, you know, um, AI at this point, it's a really important thing to consider to being able to analyze and make more of the data knowledge, more of the, all those data points you're gathering about so many users who are using your app. Otherwise, just like you're saying, you're you know, flying blind. That's that's the word. Um, next up on the list is sweat the small stuff. So are we talking about proverbial 20, 80, sorry, 80, 20 ratio, right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Um, Pareto's principle is another word for it loosely. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, and this is this is more of a an observation versus like a, a rule, um, but typically um, you'll find that 80% of your profits or your successes come from 20% of your customers or users in the context of an app. Um, and I put this in because, especially if you've got limited resources, it's supposed to be a comforting thing, but you don't need to do everything to actually Im impact your Im create meaningful impact. Um, and so um, finding that 20%, there's certain things you can do to do for that. But my point is often, and I've definitely felt it, you kind of look at everything you need to do when you're, when you're managing a, a product like an app and you're like, oh my goodness, do I focus on my CRM? Do we look at testing out the app store profile pages? Do we build this new feature that we think will bring more people in or keep more people? And it can get really overwhelming. And, and so my point is, you've got limited resources, focus them on one area that you think will be able to influence the biggest change with the least amount of effort. And I think gone are the days, sadly, of like the silver bullet where you change one thing and then suddenly like, you know, your whole um, kind of conversion funnel just works um, and your app goes from strength to strength. And obviously there are there are examples of that in the world, but I think it's safe to assume that that might not be you. But where I have found a lot of success is getting kind of incremental percentage points, even 0.5% across the user journey. And when you add those all up, kind of the proverbial look after the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. It, it really is true. Um, especially if you're working with a subscription app, because obviously mm -hmm. the changes you're making from retention are compounded every month or week, however long your subscriptions are. Um, and so I think some tips in terms of finding that 20%, um, make sure you map out your entire user journey um, from start to finish and kind of where people are coming in and dropping out um, and add in your data where you are, where you, what's your conversion rate from download to activation, you know, pre-trial to subscription, et cetera, um, and where you want to be. Um, and then I think it's also important to look at benchmarks, like industry benchmarks, like just to make sure that your KPIs are actually realistic. Like if you've got, you know, aiming for a 90% app store to download rate, then you're probably not going to reach that. And so you should make sure that your your KPIs are realistic. And I think that that's probably the case of making sure your K, when you create your KPIs, check out industry benchmarks more so. Um, but then the other point is look at the resources you have available to you and look at the areas where you need to focus. And then from there, you'll be able to see where you're able to create the most impact with the resources you have available. Um, and you can create a pretty good game plan and really focus in. So you might be like, oh, our conversion rate has really dropped in the last three months. Like, let's just go ham on that. Um, as opposed to, you know, looking at 
all parts say, oh, our retention is not as good as it is. Our app store pages, we could really improve that. Oh, maybe we should do this new feature. And you're not going to move the needle if you do that if you don't have a big team. So you, I, my, the whole point here is focus in on one part of the user journey and really go for it. And you'll find that even those incremental changes will actually have a big impact. Yeah, focus is the key and uh, incremental growth it's been discussed so many times, like for the last several years, when the market is so big and pretty saturated at this point, uh, you have to work out those uh, you know, 0 0.5, 0 0.3 numbers to make your the whole app project moving forward and grow uh, on this landscape. Yeah, exactly. Finally, SWAT up what this one is about. <laughs> yeah, so this one is about... A lot of the time, you won't have control of the resources that you have available to you. Um, so you most likely won't have a direct control on the budget that you've been given or the team you're working with. Um, but what you do have direct control over is yourself as a resource. And so if you can make yourself as valuable as possible, then that is really going to help you personally in your career and your projects and your team. And so this point is basically, how do I become more valuable to the team and to the project? So you know, things like be a super user. So if you're not opening your app every single day, like why should anyone else? And you're really missing out on like really great insights to what super users use your app for. And so you can really understand like the pain points and where, you know, you can really kind of I don't know, enhance and um, yeah, leverage, le leverage those insights to further improve the product. Um, also download all of your competitors apps and be a super user on theirs as well because um you know your competitors your competitors are marketing to your audience and likely they'll might they'll probably have a few of those downloaded on their phone as well and so you'll be being compared against them and so you you need to make sure you're keeping up with the competition and it's a really really great source of inspiration as well um so those are two things in terms of apps and then also make yourself i guess upskill yourself in the wider context like not just apps but kind of i guess adjacent industries like read the books go to the conferences listen to the podcasts um and just make yourself i guess you know you have never we, we never know where like our next idea or inspiration comes from and i think as long as you always stay curious um you can really help um give yourself a kind of head start be on the front foot um and there's a few um i listed out I think Lenny's newsletter is really great, especially if you're working in digital products. But then, you know, um, Nudge and the Elements of Choice are really great books from a kind of UX perspective and fascinating. Um, Think Again by Adam Grant, an amazing book, um, which kind of talks about how, um, you know, embracing what we don't know and how it can help us kind of, you know, learn um, more effectively. Um, but yeah, it's become, be more curious about your app, your competition, and just, the wider world that we live in and um, so that's that's the last point yeah it is especially true because we're living in post-covid times where in the traditional office is not a passe it's still here in some capacity but we're working more and more as remote teams and discipline schedule um work uh, like your uh roadmap for yourself as the uh owner is the entrepreneur is really important to make your app projects to work and do uh grow over time that's just yeah crucial. and and also being able to look across different industries for sources of inspiration or what they're doing really well like don't just limit it to like your 
you know, fitness or exactly. food. Um, yeah, be as lateral as possible. Lisa, being in digital marketing space for more than a decade, what would you really like to change about digital marketing? So this is a tough question because I really do like it. Um, I think it would be to be more inclusive or accessible, um, to be, especially for people who, like myself, actually didn't have any formal kind of digital marketing training. Like, I mean, back when I was at university, there weren't such a thing as mobile apps, which definitely shows my age. Um, but I think, yeah, having more kind of resources available to show people that actually it is it if you know it is an accessible industry to work in it's a fascinating industry to work in it's a really impactful industry to work in it impacts people's lives like most people now have a smartphone and um you know so they're engaged, interacting with it on a, on a daily basis um so yeah i think having having more kind of accessibility would be great um yeah i think that would be the the main thing but i, I do really love it <laughs> got you all right we are finished with the first part of the show we're transitioning to the second one which is smaller quicker and basically i'm just using this uh, taking this chance to paint a quick picture of my guest uh for for the benefit of our listeners so they can know them a little bit better here we go question number one what smartphone do you have now um are you one of those people who just stick on one uh, you know so at once camp all the time or switching between these two? Oh, this is where I'm quite I'm I'm an iPhone user and I have been ever since like 2010. Um, but I think I've got an iPhone 11 at the moment. I need an upgrade. <laughs> I definitely need an upgrade. But yeah, iPhone, iOS through and through. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, all right. Before these notions uh, iOS and Android ever existed, uh first mobile phones uh, now we call them featured phone they used to be flip phones so what was the first mobile phone you could put in your pocket <laughs> so this one was this one was an Acatel and it had an aerial um it was that old school and it was a phone that I shared with my sister because we used to get the train to school and the train was uh -huh. invariably late so we had to use to call our mum um but yeah it was it was an Acatel with an aerial that's all I can remember um, very very basic but incredibly exciting as an 11 year old of course yeah <laughs> you bet um now right now uh present time i imagine you left your home um and for whatever whatever reason you left your smartphone at home um what would be the most missing feature for you when you're out um i actually think now it's very kind of functional i'd because I usually just go out, go with my phone. So I wouldn't even have a wallet to pay with because I use Apple Pay for everything. Um, and also I'd feel a bit lost without Google Maps, which is actually a bad skill to have lost. Um, so yeah, not not any kind of necessarily communication, but definitely payment and maps would be a real issue for me. Um, and I should probably say also WhatsApp because then I could obviously keep in contact. So those, am I allowed to have three? Oh, that, yeah, these are great three. It's very, um, I would say, functional. Like, um, I still remember the this um, um, overall observation. Like, what are the top uh, functions, top features of apps where all people, you know, in any country, uh, have like on the top of the list: navigation, communication, e-commerce, um, 
social networking, I guess. So Google Maps, WhatsApp, and the payment that's just right up on that list. So yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, very take the box, didn't I? <laughs> essential for sure. Um all right. Um looking at your iPhone, um probably not, you know, specifically your uh eleven model, but just a general on an iPhone as the platform. What's the missing for you? Hardware, software, probably both. Uh, like, what do you go like? Wouldn't it be great if my phone can do this or that? Oh, probably okay. less. Probably not. Uh, I'm saying just just for you. I'm not saying more or less. Every person has their own answer. What in terms of what I wish my phone would do? Yeah, like yeah. Um, I mean, battery life is always a thing for me, but that's probably because I've got an older phone. Um, yeah, or just. I think in terms, I guess it gets a bit big brother if you're kind of trying to go more personalization. I kind of, it's interesting. I work in, oh, I, I have worked in apps a lot, but I actually, when I'm at home, I, I tend to leave my phone away from me quite a lot. I'm, I'm a big believer in being present with the people who I'm with. Um, but yeah, I mean, things like Find My Open and stuff like that are amazing. Um, I think now I'm, the other the parts of like daily life and I think this is only just because we don't have the right um smart home things is like a lock because you always like keys wallet phone well wallet we've integrated into the phone and I think keys have been or will be, become much more kind of um a feature of of a lot of people's um kind of smart apps um smart apps, apps on their smartphones um soon I think it will just yeah you'll literally just use your phone for everything um but yeah, that's, I mean, that having the ability to open my flat would be great with the phone. Um, just means I wouldn't have, I would have left less, something less to lose. Right. I'm, I'm myself waiting for my home to be, to become smart. And actually the whole idea of, you know, smart ecosystem at home actually take off because it's been a few years where I read about new features. This is great. You know, on the platform side, it's awesome, but Still, it's not widespread. Still, not a lot of companies do support the hardware. So the idea is somewhere there. You know, we can we can buy yeah. the bulbs from Philips to make the smart lighting. You can buy the log for your home. But this is not like it's pretty expensive, <laughs> to be honest. It's not, not quite mainstream as much. It's not as mainstream like, yet. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think there's I've definitely seen examples of it. Um, so that'll be interesting when that kind of moves on to the next um phase in terms of adoption um, right okay before i let you go very very final question how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do um i think the best way to reach me would actually just be linkedin um so lisa pickett um and yeah um definitely make the connection as i said what's the worst that can happen i promise i'll reply <laughs> right Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And that was Lisa Pickett, digital product and marketing specialist. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. 
For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.